Welcome to Under the Radar, a show about independent iOS app development. I'm Marco Arment. And I'm David Smith. Under the Radar is never longer than 30 minutes, so let's get started. So today I wanted to talk, or I guess a little bit of sort of checking in as well as uh, discussing some recent things I've been doing um, around customer support and around a a sort of evolving philosophy that I've been developing for customer support. So when I first started um, with most of my apps, I think I did what I think most sort of indie developers do is that in the settings area of your app, there is a button that you push that button and it sends an email um, to you. And that was how I started off doing support. And you very quickly realize that um, originally that goes just to like, you know, uh, my email. And that was first very deeply problematic because then suddenly customer support is being intermixed with your um, your you know your work email which is not a good idea so then you create um, a separate email account you start going there and then you start running into the issues of like well this doesn't work so well to manage inside as mail because support is a different thing and so you move it on to something so ultimately i moved it on to help scout um, and that's what i did for a long time um, as my customer support system for the most part um, and it works all right. Uh, it generates a reasonable amount of uh, you know emails every day, but um, in general, that's scaled all right. And I've had people help me with it, um, especially because it's, honestly, especially around launching a new new product, you tend to get a lot of negativity um, in the the, the 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 feedback you get there, um, and that can be incredibly discouraging and incredibly just emotionally difficult. And so, over the years, I've you know hired people to help me with that um, to sort of shield me from that as well as to make it so it's not taking up too much of my time. And then all went well until um, Widgetsmith launched. Um, and Widgetsmith's launch was, you know, it's like there was just a button in there that's like, you know, email, and it went to our Help Scout email. And um, it completely fell over as a method once, uh, because Widgetsmith's scale was just something that I'd never run into. And this is, you know, a thing I've mentioned a few times, but, you know, when Widgetsmith was having its crazy first couple of weeks, I would get multiple emails per second um, into that um, into that system, which is completely in, 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 impossible to keep up with and to manage. Um, and it's just, it was, was a bit of a nightmare. Um, and so at that point I replaced the kind of a expectation in my mind that I was going to respond or read, um, all of the emails, um, with instead I was putting a sort of an autoresponder to that. And the way the system worked is if you emailed, you got an, a auto response that had kind of a frequently asked questions in it. And if the person responded to the frequently asked questions email, so essentially they've emailed us twice, um, then that would kind of get percolated into um, something that would actually be seen by a person. Um, and that worked reasonably well, or at least it made the problem invisible to me um, to, to a large degree, because suddenly my customer support queue is very small, and it seems like people are getting... Um, you know, it's like, well, there's not a lot of people who are emailing back a second time, so things must be okay. Um, one of the things I've been wanting to do um, for, for my updates this fall was I was trying to revisit this, and I was trying to understand what is the best way that I can provide useful customer support to people, and kind of starting from the beginning of like, why is the, why does this exist? Why do am I, am I providing customer support? What is its purpose? What am I trying to to do there? And it's funny, I was starting to think about it from a perspective, um, in some ways of like the way that most games in the app store don't have support as or generally, like, it's not the kind of thing that you have, like this, this concept of a, sort of this help desk or this thing that you need to do, but it is certainly something that is part and parcel with having 
you know, an indie app. I think we just had that we've developed an expectation that this is what you do. And in some ways it's maybe to avoid getting bad reviews that, you know, you're providing an outlet for people who are upset or confused or um, have issues with your app um, to, to, you know, to funnel that into a way that is not public facing, but it was also kind of like, why is this there? Um, when a lot, and honestly too, I also wanted to understand, am I missing things in the way that I'm handling support right now? That are, are there issues that are just sort of simmering under the surface that are slowly making the app worse over time? Um, and so the system that I've been working towards, and this is um, something that I've been rolled out for a couple a couple of weeks now, so I have some some feedback on, um, is I moved to a system in WidgetSmith now where in the settings area, there's a help button and you push on that. And it right now what it's doing is it, it opens a website um, that is just the frequently asked questions in this kind of more, like I'm, I'm terrible at JavaScript and CSS, but it's, it, it des- it's designed to look a little bit more interactive, you know, so it just has the questions and you tap on a question and it expands and it, and it collapses. Um, and I'm right at the bottom. It says, you know, if you still have a question, you know, you can still email me. And I've separated those emails out to a different place so I can get a sense of uh, if people are emailing from the old, just sort of like the button that would just send an email and people who have gone to this frequently asked questions area and then said they still had a question. And it's been very interesting because as far as I can tell, it's like the majority of the people who were emailing uh, before were their question was one of the frequently asked questions and very few people are now going all the way down to the the bottom to, to tap, to tap that. And the people who are um, the sort of the signal to noise there is much higher that the people who are going, look, going to this page, going to the bottom and hitting um, are both motivated that they've done something that is a little bit more difficult than just, um, you know, tapping and then starting to type their thing. They've had to be a bit more thoughtful about it. Um, and so I'm getting good suggestions or, genuine bugs that are things that I need to be aware of uh, at a much higher rate than before where I feel like I would get a lot of support that was very repetitive and very uh, similar questions or things that are just like they're, they're not really helping anything or someone's just emailing to say they don't like it or it's confusing or things that are very general and vague. But um, it's something that I've changed and I thought that was, a, it's like I've been very impressed and pleased by uh uh, the response of how simple of a change this is. And it reminds me a little bit, obviously, this is, at least I haven't looked at uh, Overcast's help recently, but I remember you had a similar thing where to get to the link to send you an email, you had to uh, do a little bit of work as a user. Um, and I imagine that had a similar effect to put a, that just, just enough of a barrier to make it that the, the quality you get at the end is, is a bit higher. You know, I, I saw with previous stuff, like with Instapaper, I, I'm, I forget exactly how it was in Instapaper, but it basically just had, you know, like a, a support link in the in the setting screen somewhere, and it would just fire off an email to me. You know, it would just bring up an, an email compose sheet, and I got so much support email for Instapaper. It was, it was overwhelming, and I ended up, you know, trying to hire various people to answer it for me. Um, I had mixed success with that. I had some good experiences, some bad experiences. Um, and it just, it wasn't, it wasn't very good for anybody involved, honestly. <laughs> um, people weren't really getting, you know, they, they weren't getting access to me because I had to hire someone and, and that's, it's different when you're doing it yourself and I'll get to that in a minute. But, um, but yeah, it just, it wasn't, people really didn't get a lot of value out of that system basically. And, and I didn't either. And I was, I was paying people, uh, and then I was disconnected from from what people were saying, and and it was it was kind of a weird situation. Um, whereas in Overcast, Overcast has more users than Instapaper did, 
but I get way less email from it because what I did in, in, in the, from the, from day one, um, you know, learning, you know, overcast in many ways is like lessons I learned from Instapaper implemented in, you know, ver, in my, my next app. Right. And this is one of those lessons where I had this screen, this feedback screen and I, and nowhere in the app does it say support. It says feedback. And that's very intentional <laughs> uh, because support is subtly different than feedback. Now, many people will email the feedback address with what is basically a support request, but it's so few of them. And what and I, and I say in that screen, basically, like, I'm one person, I won't be able to answer most emails. And if you still want to send feedback, I'd love to hear it. You know, I'll read it, but I won't reply. And that does put off some people. You know, I will occasionally get a nasty review from somebody in the app store saying this developer doesn't provide any support. Uh, but you know, in many ways, like you kind of are better off without a lot of those very support needy people because the, the value of putting a lot of your time into pleasing one customer when you're selling an app for a few dollars or for free with ads or something, the value of one customer is pretty quickly, negated by you having to write more than like one or two emails to them (laughs) so uh so basically like you know it's it's you're better off not having people who who need a lot of support as your customers in most cases now this is very different in different contexts so for instance people who use my app just as customers that there's a certain value of that to me but people who for instance buy ads for their podcast well they're giving me like hundreds of dollars and so if they need an answer to an email, I'm going to try harder to answer that one compared to, you know, somebody who is using a free app and is having trouble, you know, deleting a podcast or something like that's that's a, a more basic need that I, I'm, I feel more comfortable just, you know, let it, letting those go or mo- or not responding to most of them. <laughs> and and uh, and that's fine. Um, but, you know, I think a lot of this comes down to setting expectations with your customers or users in right in the app as you said most apps don't provide technical support and people get by you know um people will respond differently but but i i think largely if you tell people right up front what to expect good or bad they will take it better than if their expectations are not matched with the reality so by me telling people right up front I'm probably not going to respond to your email if you email me. Most people are okay with that. You know, most people, if you ask them, like, do you expect a a support email response from from an app that you use? Most people might say yes. But if you tell them right up front, this is not available here. You know, I'll help you if I can, but this is mostly not not an available service that I provide. Most people then will be like, oh, all right. And they'll proceed with their day. Um, So I find a lot of people's reactions to whether you offer good or any support really comes down to just expectation management. You know, if, if, if there's a mismatch, they'll be upset. But if, you, if you're very clear about what you're capable of and what you're not, what you offer and what you don't offer, um, I find that actually goes a lot of the way towards pleasing people. Absolutely. It's about managing expectations. But I think both for your customer as well as for yourself. Um, like I think I very easily can fall into this trap of – yeah, it's like over overvaluing each individual interaction because 
I mean, the, the nature of email is like, it's, it's personal. Like this is, I'm having a one-on-one interaction with a particular person um, who is using something that I made and they're confused. They're having a problem. It isn't working right. It, you know, in the worst case, they've, they've lost something that they've worked hard on, you know, like I've, every now and then I'll get an email that someone who's, they set up a widget the way that they liked it. And then for some reason it's gone or it isn't, you know, some, something happened that has caused them some harm. And that is difficult because it, you know, it's like that, that's a personal reaction and you're interacting one-on-one with someone and that can be impactful. It can be hurtful. It can be difficult. Um, but also it's like, it can be potentially productive, but I think what I've definitely found for setting expectations for myself is it's like, not that I want to be totally selfish about support, but it's like, I want to structure my support system so that my expectation is that it is benefiting the overall app eco, like the overall app itself way more than it is benefiting any individual user. That is like, I want to use support as a way to make the experience better for everyone, not to necessarily make the experience of that one person better, which is kind of a weird thing, but it's increasingly where my mind is going to this, that what I'm trying to do is use support as a way for me to identify what's confusing, identify where the problems are, that it's a, you know, a, early warning system if there are bugs or issues or problems. But beyond that, um, I don't want it to be something that I'm crea- creating an expectation. I think the way you handle it is great in terms of just telling people straight up, hey, this is unlikely to be, um, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, this, is, this is not going to be a conversation we're going to have. This is likely just going to be something that you can let me know about and I will may or may not get back to you, but don't have a great expectation there. Um, but I think what I've really found interesting, and it's not like frequently asked questions is a, a novel concept, but it's been really interesting to me how changing the expectation. So like I capture a question, I write a good answer to it once. And in some ways, what I'm saying is that's the only time I'm ever going to answer that question. I'm, you know, I don't, I don't, if you ask that same question again in the email that you send me, it's like, I'm going to ignore you. That's not helpful to me. But if it isn't one of those things that was captured, um, then that's good for me to know. Um, and also something that I think we'll get into after the break, what I've also found really interesting is I can use the way people interact with the frequently asked questions um, as a means to really quanti- quantitatively and qualitatively improve my app. Yeah, and that to me, that is one of the big benefits of running your own support you know, I mentioned before, I've used people to, I've hired people to do it for me and I've done it myself. I've, I've spent more time doing it myself, you know, support whatever I actually offer. Um, but, but I, I've spent most of the time doing it myself because I have found, um, I, some, something that, um, Daniel Jalkut of Red Sweater Software told me years and years ago that kind of stuck with me, um, is that he, he answers all of his own support email as far as I know, I'm uh, still today. But he said that the, one of the reasons he did it was that, like, the burden of support email, is its own motivation to him to minimize crashes and bugs and the need for support in his apps. So it's like, it's a feedback mechanism. Like if he doesn't want to get more email or if he keeps getting the same emails over and over again about some problem, then he's very motivated to then go fix that problem to then minimize all those emails, you know? And this is, this is one of the great things that indies have the ability to do this where most people don't, you know, most, most people who are working on multi-person teams or bigger companies, you know, the, whatever the support volume is being generated, they're they're separated from that in some way. So they might not realize that. Oh wow, we we had like a twenty percent uptick this week in in you know people who 
who can't find their account, maybe there's something wrong with that system, or maybe there's a way that UI could be better, right? And, or, you know, or it's even like, it's even in some ways like an excuse. Like if you know that you have a support team to clean up your mess, you're more likely to let a mess go, <laughs> you know? So, so it's it, when you do it all yourself, that's, it's such a closed, tight feedback system. You not only see it all, but you also then have a feeling for what's normal and what's not. And so, for instance, if I start getting way more emails than usual about a certain topic, then I know something has changed. Something is going wrong in this area. And then I can go look at it. And maybe maybe I already know what it is, but maybe I don't. If I know, like, you know, the servers really haven't had any changes in the last two weeks. And in the last three days, a bunch of people are reporting problems that sound like server problems. Then I know I, I should probably go investigate something there. And as one person running the whole operation, you have all that stuff in your head. You're familiar with the whole system. You're seeing all the inputs. So you are way more effective at responding to that kind of stuff. You just have to be super careful to not end up chasing your tail um, as, a, as a result of this. was the thing that I ran into, I've run into many times when I'm doing, when I, when I do my own support. Um, and as part of this exercise, I, I have taken over like really answering and doing a bunch of this myself just to make sure that I'm in that loop. And I think what's interesting is it's, you just have to be so careful that you don't end up like chasing down the one, like the, the, this problem that's happening to like one person out of all of your users and spend disproportionate amount of time or energy or effort into something or, or being sort of trapped into the, um, the, the vocal minority kind of problem where there's, you know, a few, a handful of people are ask, keep asking you for one fee for a feature, but it's actually not that it can, which can make it feel like, oh, this is so in demand. This is so important. Lots of people care about it. You build that feature and no one, you know, it's like the, the five people who emailed you were the five people who actually care about that. Um, and everyone else doesn't. And so you just have to be really on guard, I think, for if you're doing it yourself, I think what you're saying, there's definitely a lot of benefits to that. There's a lot of improvements that can happen to there. There's a lot of motivation, but just be really careful that you don't let it drive your roadmap. Um, too much that ultimately you should be in control of that and be doing things and deciding on features that you think are going to impact the broad swath of your users, um, not just the five people who keep emailing you asking for whatever their pet feature is. Right. But on the other hand, like that, that is, it, it's one input of many, you know, like it, like there's, I think 37 signals back forever ago now, now called Basecamp, but I think back when they were called 37 signals, they, they made, they wrote something about feature requests. And the, the gist of it, if I remember correctly, is that, they don't like keep a document of feature requests. They just watch their customer feedback. And if people keep requesting the same feature over and over again, that's a pretty good indication they should probably do it. You know, going back to Daniel Jackett's thing about support email, you know, kind of optimizing for less email. If people are asking for the same things over and over again, you won't need to write them down in a document. You'll know because <laughs> you'll be seeing those emails all the time. And that is very different from like two people asking for it ever. You know, like that, I can classify like, you know, my Apple TV app in the latter category <laughs> for sure. That <laughs> Nobody is asking for an Apple TV app, whereas there are certain features or, or behaviors that people are asking for. Like every single week, I see new people asking for these same things. So I just, I know that those are features that are probably worth doing, whereas the thing someone asked for twice is, is, is probably not. Um, we are sponsored this week by the IntraZone from Microsoft. We all love listening to new podcasts, right? If you're looking for a new show to listen to, 
The Intrazone is a bi-weekly podcast with conversations and interviews hosted by the Microsoft SharePoint team on how SharePoint, OneDrive, Teams, Viva, and more can work for you. You'll hear from guest experts behind the scenes and out in the field so you can see how SharePoint and Microsoft 365 fit into your everyday work life and learn more about the flexibility when working with content, workflow, search, and more. Each show of the Intrazone covers a bunch of segments, news and announcements, a focused topic of the week, guest perspectives from product experts inside and outside Microsoft, and upcoming events, conferences, and workshops. And their topics for each show are pretty interesting. They have lots of different topics. Previous episodes have covered things like employee experiences, content and collaboration, Microsoft lists, AI, machine learning, node, low-code solutions, power platform, and so much more. So go and listen to it now. Just search for The Intrazone wherever you get your podcasts, hopefully overcast, but once again, The Intrazone I-N-T-R-A-Z-O-N-E, the Intra Zone. Or just click the link in our show notes. Go check it out today. Our thanks to the Intra Zone by Microsoft SharePoint for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. And so I think something that I've been doing that I think is really interesting too to this point of like using support as a way to understand how to improve your app um, is the way that I structured my FAQs, where it's right now it's just a web page. You know, if you open Widgetsmith and hit the support button, you'll see this. Um, it just has a collection of questions that are just, and then if you tap on each, you tap on one, it expands out and shows you the answer I wrote. Um, I instrumented that, um, with it just used the main Widgetsmith analytics thing that I wrote, whatever, months and months ago, where it's just a very basic private, ultra private analytics system that I wrote for Widgetsmith. And I instrumented it such that anytime someone taps on one of the questions to get the answer, um, I get a essentially a counter that gets incremented inside of um, my analytics system. Oh, this is nice. And what's interesting about that is that now I have a sense of what questions people are getting answered, or at least were interested in asking when they went to the frequently asked questions. And it's been really fascinating to me. It's like, I, I think intuitively I had a sense of some of the things, but having it in actual like tabular data form has been really helpful. So for example, the second most popular uh, question that's tapped on is how do I remove widgets I no longer need? Um, which immediately jumps out to me. It's like my UI is broken. If that's the second most popular thing that people are curious about is how do I delete a widget? It's like, you know, it's like I use the standard sort of like swipe from right to left along the, the table cell to get to expose the delete button. But I, I, for you, you know, slightly aesthetic reasons, I hadn't put the, you know, sort of like edit button in the top corner to put it at the table view into editing mode. Um, but apparently not having that is causing a significant number of people to be confused. And having that as the, you know, it's like in, in this, you know, this tabular list of what questions are most um, sort of interesting to people is really interesting as a result. Because I don't think I would have guessed that that would have be the thing that was causing that much confusion. It's like the number one thing I think is, is something that I would have guessed where it's, you know, essentially the how do I add my widget to the home screen, which is the kind of like slightly convoluted way that iOS requires you to do it where you set it up in widgetsmith then you go and you long press on your home button on your home screen you get the plus you search for widgetsmith you tap it you know it's like that there's only so much i can do with that like i could do a little bit of onboarding potentially but in general i'm okay with that being the number one frequently asked question but the number two should definitely not be um how do you know how do you delete your old widgets and so 
instrumenting your frequently asked questions or having some kind of actual hard data analytics um, is something that I would strongly recommend you try if you go down this road, um, this road, because it's been really interesting to have in real, like, real numbers that I can go in and check regularly and I can see trends over time of how many people were interested in that question. And obviously I'm, I'm not collecting like, did that solve their problem? That's a much more nuanced thing to, to measure. But if you tap on a question, you probably wanted to know the answer to it. So either it's a really like clickbaity, interesting question that people are super interested <laughs> in, but more likely it's people, that was the problem that they were having or something that they were, once they saw that, they were like, oh, I can do that. Uh, and, they were, and they were interested. Um, and similarly, like the third most popular one is what do the icons on the weather widgets uh, mean? It's like, um, Okay, I can definitely do do a bit a bit more about that and making sure it's a bit a bit clearer in the app about you know what, what, you know what what the different you know weather icons mean inside there uh, at least you know or sur- surface that in a better place in the app because that shouldn't be something that causes a lot of confusion but apparently it does. I love the idea of clickbaity support. <laughs> I don't know seven shocking tips for net worth feet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's this is actually it's a really good idea to to instrument this like that. I did, I never even thought about that, but. I actually, you're you're kind of convincing me. I've never had like a, an FAQ in the app, really. Um, or and and this is actually a really good idea. <laughs> I, I I might steal this idea. By all means, it's just an HTML page, so it's pretty easy to um to to adapt to. And yeah, because like you know a lot you know I do get a lot of similar questions you know over time, and and I do interpret those usually as as you know feature requests or you know flags of you know usability needs so for instance one of the most common questions i've gotten over overcast's entire run of whatever it's been seven or eight years now is how do i mark a podcast as played because overcast doesn't really have a way to do that without like just listening to it until the end because i thought since the beginning why do you why do you need to do that just delete it um but Really, that's something people want to do, and so I, you know, as I'm re- reimagining parts of the parts of the UI now, I'm I'm going to try to fit that in somewhere in some useful way. But as you said, no one finds things on swipe actions. <laughs> like I know that from from Instapaper even, and I, I know that from from many many years of of having table view based apps that. If the only way to delete something is to swipe to delete it from a table view, nobody will ever find it because only nerds know about that. Apparently, <laughs> maybe I'm sure it's different now, but there's still a lot of people who don't know about that. So, you know, that that's why I've had to, like, add delete buttons, you know, a- anything, anything in a UI that is only accessible via a gesture of some kind. You will have a lot of people who never know that feature is there or, or who have trouble finding it. Um, so that's why, like, <laughs> there's, there's lots of every time I get like a, a an unsolicited redesign <laughs> for Overcast, which yeah i I know your intentions are good thank you but but i'm really not interested <laughs> but every time i get one of those um they always you know get overly clever with oh i'm gonna i'm gonna hide you know so and so behind behind a pain or a gesture or a mode or a swipe and it's like, no i know I, I i've tried things like that trust me that can't work here <laughs> but anyway no this is this is good um I, I yeah i think i'm gonna steal your system and i i did want to give one little tip before we go of you know, if if you're going to have some kind of you know messaging or ticketing or email based system, I strongly suggest just start with email if you're the only person answering it. Some kind of you know web based or you know ticket based support management system, those are fine 
uh, in certain ways, they're they're great if you have a multiple person team answering support. Maybe like you and somebody else, or if you know somebody else entirely that's not you, and you want to be able to like check in on how they're doing. That's different. But if it's just you answering. I strongly suggest start with email because it's probably fine and you can probably do it without, you know, adding anything to your setup and without getting more complicated and people like it. I, as a customer, hate filling out other people's ticketing systems. Now, you can do something like where they email in and then the system manages it and, you know, to them it just looks like email. Even that I kind of hate. Then you you get those stupid auto responses. Please respond above this line. Please leave this ticket number in the ticket and all this stuff. And it's just it kind of it's cumbersome. So I suggest start with email if you can. Chances are you won't have the support volume where you'll need more than that anyway, unless you're hiring multiple people. In which case, yeah, there's other benefits. But I would also say that um, you don't have to go through too much effort to to set up a new email for. Uh, for a business domain, I, d- depending on how your how your email is hosted, like mine's hosted at Fastmail, which again I love, not a sponsor, but I love them. Um, I've been with them forever, and Fastmail has a thing where on any of their paid plans, uh, you can add I think any number of domains that you own, and then you can host aliases of any email at that domain that just land in your regular inbox. So this is how I have all my stuff. I have domains at Overcast.fm. I have ATP.fm for ATP membership uh, emails. And I have both of those domains just filtering into my main Fastmail email account. And then in Apple's Mail app, under the account settings, you can add alternative email addresses that you might be sending and receiving from. And so if you add them there, then Mail will do the smart thing where if you get an email to one of those aliases that's in that list on Mail, if you reply, you'll be replying from that same alias. So it'll, it'll match it up automatically for you. And you can change it if you want to, but that's, that's the default behavior. So it's very nice. So this is a very easy way to get started. Yeah, and I think for most people, I think you're absolutely right. That's And that's the right place to start. And I think structuring your support so that you email is there at the end, that's the final step. Putting in front of that something that is more frequently asked questions based, giving you a sense, just re- releasing that load from you. Um, and if you are going to go down that road, I will highly recommend make your frequently asked questions something that you can update remotely. So like oh, yeah. in my case, it's just, it's just a website. I've definitely gone down the, res- the road of Im- embedding it in the app. And then that's just a nightmare. You don't even have to do an app, an app update in order to change, you know, add a new question. Like if you get a lot of people asking a question, you just add it to the website and then it's just Im- instantly deployed to everybody. So you want some- something like that in front, email in the back, and I think you'll be all set. <laughs> Business in front, party in the back. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Thanks for listening, everybody. And we'll talk to you in two weeks. Bye.